1: Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci & Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci & Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and & Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Papatucci says
2: Don't invest and forget.
3: Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money. Meet your financial goals and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Vitucci of Vitucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning.
4: Employment looks up in the month of March as the private sector adds almost 455,000 new jobs. Meanwhile, the global supply chain continues to be a challenge as we try to eke out the recovery post-COVID and continue to address the impact of the war in Ukraine. Welcome to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps take a look at the world of money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, author, and 30-plus year financial advisor, Pat Vitucci, along with our own man on the street, Charlie Cowain, and I'm Craig Roberts we've had some mixed news here at the end of the quarter. Certainly some encouragement in terms of the employment numbers. Private sector seems to be slightly above the forecast. That's encouraging news. The one thing, of course, that continues to have a bit of a cloud over the markets is the ongoing war in Ukraine and questions as to whether or not we're really behind COVID or just in the middle of sort of the eye of the COVID storm? Well, it's
5: been called the greatest comeback in the history of Wall Street. The first quarter, uh, really pretty resilient, kind of Teflon-coated. The NASDAQ is only down 8%. So we're seeing some um, incredible comeback in the stock market. As we all know the Russia-Ukraine war was a major punch in the stomach, adding a lot of uncertainty. When they first broke out, but in the last many weeks, we've had this giant comeback. The sentiment is still somewhat negative, but we've got a low unemployment rate and a lot of jobs have been filled, but we still have a labor participation rate that's historically low. We're in the 62% range, when historically we're really at 69% participation rate. So we've got a, a real change in potentially the sentiment. As we move into the second quarter, adding 455,000 jobs was a great number. Clearly, Leisure and Hospitality were the biggest gainers, adding 161,000 jobs. Not surprising there, as we're, more of us are getting on planes and staying at hotels and planning our next vacation after being tied to a rope at home because of COVID. Amazingly, barrel of oil, $102.00 down from 130 some odd dollars just weeks ago. So we're seeing some normalcy, maybe. Uh, dare I call it normal? Not sure if, if anything is normal these days, but hovering around $100 a barrel is actually good news, despite when we go to the gas pump, last time I filled up, it was $6.50 a gallon. Not surprisingly, Occidental Petroleum, they're up 98% year-to-date Chevron, up 40%. Clearly seeing um, some pretty good income revenue numbers from this very volatile oil world market that we're going through thanks to Putin and his war on Ukraine. Supply chain issues are being further exacerbated by the Russian issue. Listen, not that Ukraine is big in chip production, but they are the, one of the largest producers of a neon gas which is used in lasers. So who would have thought neon gas comes from country? Now we have a new outbreak in China, COVID cases, so they're on a temporary lockdown. So is that going to further exacerbate the supply chain issues? GM had to announce a two-week shutdown in their Fort Wayne, Indiana plant because of lack of computer chips. So the story goes on and on, and the number of ships that Long Beach, Port, and Oakland continues to be higher than normal, and so we continue to see some empty shelves at the food stores. Germany, normally a big recipient of natural gas from Russia. Clearly, that's been an abrupt change, and Germany has slashed their GDP growth projections from 4.6 percent all the way down to 1.8 percent, so big, big changes for Germany as they ask their citizens to radically change their use of natural gas. The other big issue, President Biden is coming out with a corporate buyback rule that is quite controversial and frankly, not very likely to get through Congress. Corporate buybacks, may reach a billion dollars this year. It was 880 some odd million dollars last year. But to me, the government trying to meddle in the way corporations manage their money and the way that corporations manage their revenue. It seems like an overreach to me, and perhaps the government should take lessons from corporations given the balance sheets of the federal government versus the balance sheets of many of the corporations they're trying to give advice to. When we're $30 trillion in debt, when you buy back a stock, you're really adding to the stability of that financial statement because you're less indebted to a shareholder. So I'm not sure if that's the right message the government wants to give to corporations. I think the government can take some lessons from the way corporations manage their money. I remember years ago, the government was being critical of Apple because they had something like $160 billion of cash on hand. And here the government's got trillions of dollars of debt that they're handling.
4: Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, Pat, using the way the federal government manages money as an example of how anything ought to be done needs to be looked at with a bit of a a jaundice eye. I want to come back full circle to a remark that you made in relationship to the gas supply shortages. This, of course, not only a factor in parts of Europe now because of the war in Ukraine, but as well as, of course, we've seen supply chain interruptions globally with petrol. That means higher prices at the pumps, that price, of course, then in turn being added to the price at the grocery store, the price when we do shopping. And so there had been a season when the government, when Washington, D.C., was suggesting that the short-term impact of inflation was going to be just that. Short-term and once COVID eased and things got back to a sense of normalcy that we would see an easing of inflation. Are some of these signs now related to the, the sort of the monkey wrench in the works because of the war in Ukraine indicative of the idea that inflation may be here for a time to stay? And if so, how do investors need to be responding to that, given the fact that inflation can be a pretty significant enemy when it comes to its impact on your retirement savings?
5: Craig, you're right. Anybody on fixed income is a serious challenge. This is not transitory as the politicians were describing this last year. This is real inflation. And based on the war, the oil issue is going to Further inflate that inflation number. And so it's real. And I think folks need to really look at where their investments are placed. Are they participating and riding this inflation wave, or are they falling further behind? Equities, stocks certainly tend to ride in lockstep with inflation numbers. Any significant portion in these areas of your portfolio, you're going to begin to feel your buying power being curtailed in a very very dramatic way and so introspection on how conservative or how speculative your portfolio is I think is' a great time to look at that from your investment point of view and are you poised to fall behind in a dramatic way or are you going to ride this crazy wave that we're on you know potentially seven eight nine percent inflation numbers in 2022.
6: And Pat, you know, thinking back, I mean, we've had inflation forever. You go back, you know, fifty years or whenever it would be, where you're where you're paying, you know, thirty cents a gallon for gasoline or eighteen cents for a loaf of bread. I mean, I don't think
5: inflation is going to stop. You know, that's just what we have to deal with. Normal inflation is okay when you're in the in the one or two percent range, but when we get through these periods of seven, eight, nine, ten, or in the 70s, when we have 12, 13, 14 percent, that's when it becomes unhealthy, and managing it becomes difficult. If you look at countries like Venezuela, where they have 20, 30, 40 percent inflation, the economy just can't be controlled in any way, shape, or form. And all bets are off, and you make a lot of silly decisions when you take into account inflation. And so, want well, to be careful how you manage your money. And these are those times that I think are, are critical to really do some close introspection of how your portfolio is designed.
4: To take advantage of that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review that Pat spoke of just a moment ago, why not call toll free triple eight Plan Wise. That's eight 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 P L A N W I S E to get more information or to schedule your complimentary appointment. Don't invest and forget.
1: Rattucci says, don't invest and forget, invest and forget,
5: invest and forget. Welcome back to Don't Invest and Forget. My special guest and good friend, Frank Parrish. Frank is an estate planning attorney. We've been working together for nearly 30 years. It seems like we just started just a few months ago, Frank. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, a pleasure, Pat.
5: So, Frank, estate planning, as it relates to investment planning, they're so integrated and so meaningfully important to pay attention to both of these issues because we know there's guarantees we're all going to be moving on to our rich rewards. Estate planning is a very evolving issue. The reality of it is, as you have shared with me in the past, eight in ten people don't even have a will. That's pretty alarming, isn't it, Frank? Because you're basically leaving this earth without any instruction
2: to your family and friends. Exactly as you say, the vast majority of people have failed to do anything. As a result of that, the fate of their assets, how it will be distributed, is really left up to chance. I think there is a a constant confusion over the terms in an estate plan. People back and forth refer to a will, a trust, a durable power of attorney, all in the same breath, and they really do not understand the distinction between the three. To begin with, in a trust, which is a separate document as a general rule from your will, and most clients who set up a trust, it would be revocable in nature, meaning they can change it during their lifetime. In most cases, if it's a single client or if it's a married couple, They will be the trustees or the managers of the asset. They've created the trust, which is called the settlor, and they're also beneficiaries of it. In the event of incapacity of both husband and wife or a single client, then who steps in to manage the assets? In other words, the successor trustee. You do not want to leave that up to chance. You want to make sure it's a competent individual, whether it is an adult child or a third party as could possibly have a CPA, whomever. But where you name, for example, an attorney in that role, as a general rule, there's a conflict of interest and you shouldn't do that. So then the choice is you either have an independent fiduciary, which we have individuals who act in that capacity, but they also are subject to death as we are. In addition, then you may seek out a bank. But if you want a bank to act, then the bank in most cases will want to review the document, determine the size of the estate, is it manageable for them to be profitable, to handle it. There's always a concern about the third party not having empathy or understanding for the trust beneficiaries, which which would be an adult child, minor grandchildren, whomever. That is the trust. And then you have the trust, the manager, which is the trustee, and then the successor trustees. But remember also, there is a will. And under the will, the individual or the person responsible for carrying out the administration of the will is called the executor. And then you have a successor executor if he or she cannot act. And in most cases the successor trustee and the executors there should be a consistent progression of those positions
5: we have seen over the years frank many times mom and dad will historically pick the oldest child in the family and in some cases we have seen that oldest child is either terrible at managing money terrible at having the social skills to coordinate with their siblings, or there's a substance abuse issue. Talk to our audience about picking that person that has the best skills to moderate the settlement of mom and dad's estate without all those other issues coming into play.
2: I'm glad you bring up that point about the eldest child or you know, acting in the capacity as a successor trustee. I'm dealing with that right now where... The eldest son predeceased the parent. And as a result of that, now we're having to look at well, who else should be in that progressive position? Also, is this issue of the competence and the importance of selecting someone who has financial management skills to administer the trust as a successor trustee? That is not an easy decision for clients to arrive at. And I come back repeatedly when we talk about estate planning, I'll say the most difficult decisions are not tax-related. They are personal in nature. And the reason why they're difficult is there is no right or wrong answer. Clients need to be aware of what options they have. Once realizing those options which I view as part of the role of an estate planning attorney, to then help them make an informed decision. You know, when we come back to talking about who should be the successor trustee, clients often will say, well, I want to treat my children equally, and so they want to name, if they have two children, both as successor co-trustees. Does that make sense? Well, it's certainly legal, but to name two individuals, then under the general rule is they both always have to agree to be able to do anything. And if they don't agree, then you have to have a dispute resolution provision contained in the trust. As you can see, having two individuals, as successor co-trustees, is legal, but it is not an efficient way of managing your assets and people need to just simply reflect on these issues and try to be objective and say, well, who is in the best position? And it may not be a family member. They may want to seek out an independent fiduciary or they may want to look at a bank trust department. But again, if you seek out a bank, they most likely will want to review the document and also to have a minimum asset size to manage assets, and that typically, at least in the Bay Area, is roughly around $2 million of liquid assets.
5: Frank, the other big issue that you and I have seen many, many times is people will say, well, I have a living trust, so I don't have any estate tax issues, and the confusion of income tax versus estate tax. Talk to our listeners about why that's just not true.
2: I think one of the key points for people who have done estate planning is to say, well, I have a revocable trust and therefore I really don't need to do anything further. What people believe they have and what they have quite often are two different things. If you have a revocable living trust, then the question is, have the clients properly funded it? In other words, retitled assets into the name of the trust. And many times they have not done that. So they have a revocable trust, but it's really not going to avoid probate because they haven't transferred assets into it. That's the retitling issue. Then we dovetail into what you're speaking about, the income tax issues. And income taxation, as a general rule, at date of death, assets can be distributed income tax-free to the beneficiaries. That typically applies for an inheritance. However, the rule is different where we're dealing with IRAs. An IRA distribution is taxable income to beneficiaries, just as it is to the client who established the IRA. But you simply need to be aware of the fact that IRAs are designed for one primary purpose, and that is retirement income. They are not designed for inheritance.
5: Estate planning attorney Frank Parrish, estate planning overlaps with investment planning in a very, very dramatic way. If there's any questions or if you'd like a free consultation with Frank Parrish, give our offices a call, One triple eight plan wise Frank would be glad to spend an hour with you and just review how his office works and how it coordinates with investment plans. Frank, thanks so much for
2: joining me today. Hey, thank you, Pat. A pleasure.
7: Let me make this crystal clear. Vitucci & Associates, we are not attorneys. We are not equipped to give legal advice. I would highly encourage you to hire a licensed attorney that specializes in estate planning issues. If you need a referral for a qualified estate planning attorney, call our offices. We will give you recommendations.
2: Pat Vitucci says, don't invest in forget."
7: Our special guest today is George Kinder. George is the author of The Seven Stages of Money Maturity, Understanding the Spirit and Value of Money in Your Life. George, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thanks, Pat. What was the motivation to write The Seven Stages of Money Maturity?
6: One of the things we discovered in financial planning. I started a think tank about, oh, five years before I wrote the book. And the think tank coming out of the Financial Planning Association, or then the ICFP and the IAFP, the think tank was investigating the human side of money. And we gathered many of the finest uh, financial planners in America together. And what we were perplexed by, we, we felt that the clients were coming in and talking about all this personal stuff and we'd had plenty of training in asset allocation and taxes retirement and uh, you know pensions and insurance but we'd not had any training at all in human side of money and so our clients would come in with emotional stories with uh, profound stories profound aspirations and we wouldn't necessarily know you know we'd use common sense or our human sense of things but we really didn't know, in a way, what it was that we were supposed to be doing. And out of that think tank, I actually created a a number of books, and this was the first of them, to really give structure to how we understand the human side of money and and what it is that money is meant to be about. And fundamentally, I think what the fundamental message is, is money is meant to free us, each of us, into lives of greater meaning.
7: George, is it getting more difficult for the consumer to not overreact? We've seen just in the past year or two, the volatility of the economy is none like we've ever seen before in terms of the ups and downs of the market. And so the consequent behavior of consumers and the reacting to that becomes even more of an issue. So I think your message becomes more and more salient. I
6: hearken back to the times in the 1970s where you had a 50% drop in the value of the market and we had 14% inflation and people were talking about the absolute death of the stock market. They thought that stocks and equities were gone forever. In a way, what we've seen is a revisiting of some of those areas. I don't think it's quite as bad as it was then. But what 's exacerbated it is that so many more of us have saved money than them, and so many more of us have invested money than used to have and so there's a lot more people involved and I think that's really the the difference and the I think the important thing to, if possible, have an advisor who keeps a pretty steady hand in. Your relationship to the market. Because the thing that almost everyone's prone to, even an advisor can be prone to, is to buy high and sell low. You sell when you're scared, and you buy when you're excited. And when you're excited is when everybody else has been excited, and it's already past the peak. And you sell when you're scared, and it's down at its low.
7: So your basic premise assumes that clients have the basic retirement planning, insurance planning, estate planning, college planning for their children or grandchildren. Asset allocation, all those things are pretty much the framework is in place. Your book really addresses kind of the life planning, more this retirement coach idea. There's a new cottage industry, as I've seen, I'm sure you've reflected as well, of this boomer movement generating uh, retirement coaches. This is a whole new industry, isn't it?
6: Yeah, we actually call our movement uh, life planning, and it's very similar to the retirement coaching kind of process. And the life planning movement has produced more courses, I think, than anything else over the last 10 years because people have begun to recognize that, in fact, the human side of money is the most important side. We get trained in all the skills of asset allocation of investments and and retirement and all that but we don't have the training for money.
7: George, our parents never had a life coach, a life planner. Why do do we need a life planner all of a sudden?
6: Well, let me ask you this, Pat, just for yourself or for anyone you know, an ideal life for yourself and to imagine, I don't mean that you're as rich as, as Bill Gates necessarily, but you have really all that you need to live an ideal day, an ideal week, an ideal year. Are you in that situation yourself? Just take yourself for the moment. Do you live an absolute ideal day, an ideal week, an ideal year? And It's a rhetorical question, but the answer for most of us is no, we don't. We don't live the day that we really want to live. We don't live the week that we ideally would live, and we don't live the year that we ideally would live. If we don't, the answer is there's no reason not to. What we really need is a financial life planner, someone who's really going to do a life plan for us and figure out how to make that happen.
7: So the financial piece is really kind of the framework, the underpinnings, and everything else. It's not just the love of money. It's what is your asset base? What kind of life does it create for you? What kind of quality of life? Really, what you're really getting to the heart of, aren't you?
6: Yeah, no, you're even mentioning the asset base. And at this point, I wouldn't even mention it. I would really go, what is it that you really want? Another question that we ask is that if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, gosh, I'm I'm sorry, you have a terrible disease and there's nothing I can do about it. And in fact, it's so far progressed that you only have 24 hours left to live. If you suddenly were facing your death like that and you were to reflect for a period of time on what you'd missed, who you'd not gotten to be, what you'd not gotten to do, the answers to those questions, that we are meant to live into, that we're meant to complete and be vital and vigorous in regard to, that's where the financial plan uh, is meant to reside And the answer to those questions. And more often than not, those questions, they really have nothing to do, at least in the initial stages, with asset allocation or anything we think of about money. They have much more to do with time management. For instance, the most common response has to do with family, whether it's healing a relationship with family or spending more time with family, healing one's relationship with one's spouse, that's the most common response. The second most common response has to do with the inside of our lives. And it could be anything from something uh, secular and and values-driven to something explicitly spiritual, but it has to do with the inside of our lives. And the third most common response has to do with doing something creative. And then four and five have to do with community and environment. Well, these are not things that we normally talk about, that we normally really address in in a deep way, in a satisfactory way, But, in fact, let's say that it is something creative, and you think, well, gosh, what do I have to do? How can I help this person? They want to write the great American novel, and they're stuck in an insurance office uh, working 60-hour weeks. Well, that's a financial planning question, ultimately. Uh, We haven't thought of it as that. It's likewise with a family. If they're struggling with, with their family, they don't have the great relationship with their kids that they'd love to have. Ultimately, that's a time question, because if they take that time and really spend it with the kids, then they can do it. And time, as Ben Franklin said, is money. So it ends up being, ultimately, then it comes back to budgets and asset allocation and retirement and all the other questions come in. But first, we have to find out what's profoundly important for the person to accomplish. That's what money is meant to do. We marry meaning and money. That's what the life planning movement does.
7: My special guest is George Kinder. George is the author of The Seven Stages of Money Maturity. We've been talking with George about the behavioral aspects of how we manage money. And once we've established portfolio and asset allocation mix and all those other rudimentary fundamental things, what do we do now? What kind of quality of life does that generate? Where does family and our spiritual life interface with money? George, your seven stages of money maturity, I've got to ask you, what's the most important stage?
6: They're all important, uh, ultimately. They, they're structured. The, the seven stages are structured as a process of growth. We start off with a lot of innocent, naive notions around money. And th- that's the first stage, innocence, and then the second stage is pain, where we experience the, the pain of, of learning the naivete, perhaps, of those messages, and the pain is really, are, are the difficult, dark feelings that we have around money. Those two, pain and innocence, comprise childhood, and then adulthood is made up of three stages, knowledge, understanding, and vigor, and knowledge is what you would do as financial advisor, structures of, of money, and the laws around money, and understanding is the second stage of adulthood, and it has to do with the heart, with coming to a place of ease in relation to the difficult feelings that might come up around money. And then the third phase of adulthood is vigor, an extremely important phase, because a lot of us feel kind of heavy and lethargic and depressed. I mean, who likes to do their tax return, for instance? Very few people, I don't think even tax return preparers like to do their own tax return. So there's the vitality and vigor that's important. And then the final two stages, they're called vision and aloha, and they represent our reaching out and doing good in the communities around us, that's vision, and aloha is the passing of a blessing from one person to another, regardless of economic difference. But the fact is that all of us, even, even you and I, have all of the seven stages. Even if we're masters of knowledge, we still fall back into innocent notions thinking maybe that our kids sh- should have known how to handle money and they, they disappoint us in some way. So we have all of those seven stages operating at once.
7: George, I have a question. Does our industry kind of miss the heart? You think we're going all too fast? I mean, in our practice, we really try and take time in our interview process to understand the wishes and desires of our clients outside of, you know, they want percent on their money. We really talk to them about, the more their life dreams. Does industry as a whole kind of miss that?
6: Yeah, they do. There's been a m- tremendous movement in that direction in the last decade, which is very good. But as a whole, I think they really miss it. But I think the industry is so caught up in... Well, in the old days, it was caught up in sales. And so the motivation there was just to make money. And then I think as as the profession has grown really more genuinely professional... It has moved into the fast lane around this way of structuring uh, your assets or that way or this kind of pension or that kind of pension, and it's very much knowledge-based. But again, without really knowing your client, if you're putting them in products that are not related to what their dreams really are, you're doing them a disservice to really listen and really know what what would be best for them. I'm going to speak to a group of uh, estate planners. They just leap into the estate plan. If you don't know what the life plan of the person is and that they're really living it, you could be tying up a person's money and assets and trusts that will need to be violated, that won't work, that will fall apart, will be abandoned. There may be really quite inappropriate asset allocations that occur as a consequence. Well, it's true for a general financial plan as well if we haven't really listened to who the client is, then there are likely to be, almost certain to be, surprises that will cause whole asset allocation plan or the pension systems that we've set up to be inappropriate for the client.
7: George, in our practice, we spend a lot of time with our clients. We document their wishes, their needs, where we understand more of their personality. We get to know their families, their children, perhaps their parents. Is there a growing difference in the old traditional financial advisor?
6: I think so. And at the same time, there really is a move You know, what you guys are doing with the families just sounds wonderful. I think there is a growing recognition, even though it's still not structured so well, that the consumer can be certain that they will be treated in a way that will really enrich their lives and not cause problems.
7: Is this, in your travels around the country, is there receptivity there? Do they get it, or what's your, how's your message being received, George?
6: It's wonderful. The first speech I gave, I think, 2,000 people to more than 1,000 people, It's rumored 10% of the people walked out, and it's possible that that happened. And that was nearly 10 years ago. Now I have advisors coming up to me and saying, hey, I was there in Dallas. I was one of those people who walked out. I want you to know now that I'm one of your biggest fans. And that's happened to me many times. So, right now, I think the receptivity is really very, very strong, particularly amongst people who really have gone further, perhaps, with the the professional work. It's beginning to be something that is interested in, are all about people and about listening. And I think they're recognizing that it's something very important.
7: George, are you suggesting the boomer kids retiring today? This is not your father's uh, retirement. This is very different from mom and dad's retirement. Is it just an attitude, or is it the love? Level of affluence that's made it different. What do you think is the core difference between our parents moving into this stage versus this age group moving into this stage?
6: You know, when our parents were around, or the parents of the boomers, it was IBM, white shirt, black suit, or labor union. The world was really very simple, and in both cases, whether it's the big corporation, was taking care of you with their pension. Of course, now we've got so many more choices, and the consumer is so much better educated, often in a dangerous way, but there are many more options out there. At the same time, we went through you know the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and we've had people live in very different ways. They don't work in one place in one job for all of their life. They're often changing jobs multiple times. So there's this notion that we are living not for the big company and not for that day where we're going to retire for the big company, but that we're constantly living and exploring who we are and who we want to be, trying to find a, a way that's richer for ourselves, more meaningful.
3: I think
7: the other difference is we're seeing this revolution of where we're going to get our resources from. I mean, our parents were blessed with pensions and Social Security, and we know Social Security system is lesser and lesser part of all of our incomes. The IBMs the world are walking away from wonderful pension plans that our parents enjoyed. It really is up to you and I, and that's where I think the money management is a big challenge. Surrounded by that is, okay, what do we do with this money and how do we prepare ourselves emotionally and what kind of contribution do we want to continue to make or not make? So I think there's a whole different perspective on retirements. George, I want to congratulate you. Your book really hits it right on the head. It's called The Seven Stages of Money Maturity, Understanding the Spirit and value of money in your life. If there's any questions for George or myself, call our toll-free number 1-888-PLANWISE. That's 1-888-PLANWISE. George, I want to thank you so much for joining me today.
3: Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Pat. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fettucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay offices of Attucci and Associates near you, go to com. That's com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888 N W I S E. Or visit com.
1: Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vituccian & Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vituccian & Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vittucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.